before we get into the Word this morning. Because we're going to be talking about romance and sex this morning. All right, so let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Everybody take a deep breath. Let it out. It's beautiful. Didn't that feel good? Now, everybody say this word. Are you ready? Sex. All right, let's do it on three together. One, two, three. Sex. That wasn't so bad, was it? That wasn't so bad, was it? Sometimes when you talk about these kind of topics in church, people get a little weird. People get a little wigged out. People get a little uncomfortable. You don't have to be uncomfortable in this place today. Amen? You don't have to be uncomfortable. Sex is a beautiful thing. Romance is a beautiful thing. Um, It's a beautiful gift that God gave for a husband and a wife. In fact, in fact, I know this flies over some people's radars sometimes or under the radar sometimes, but check this out. Listen, most people don't realize this. No people don't think about this because we're always taught that it's a dirty, kind of nasty thing um, that, that only husbands and wives do, you know, when they have to. But listen, God created romance and sex. God created it. So I had to praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Yes, he created a lot of great stuff, and this is right at the top of the list, baby. This is right at the top of the list. In fact, not only did God create it, God commanded married couples to get it on. That is a command from Scripture. Are you kidding me, Josh? No, I'm not kidding you. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Check this out. Um, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We got all the bases covered there. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Some translations say, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. What does God say in there? Have sex. That's what he's saying. We're just going to get this out of the way this morning. God said to Adam and Eve, have sex have sex garden of eden god created eve adam goes through this whole little spill he's like your bone of my bone flesh of my flesh and and the first woman man had ever seen and adam's like i i i don't i don't know what to do with this and then god kind of leans in and whispers and adam goes Let's get it on. Right there in the garden. It's beautiful. God created it. It's a beautiful thing. You don't have to be ashamed about it. You don't have to be wigged out about it. It's not something you have to just weep under the carpet in your home or in your marriage. It's a beautiful thing that God created, and it's okay to talk about it in church. Amen? Amen? It's okay to talk about it in church because the world sure talks about sex and romance a whole lot. And if we don't talk about it in church and give God's perspective and shine biblical light on it, then we're going to have generations growing up not knowing about what we're going to present as a taboo subject, and they're going to get their information from somewhere else in the Bible. And they're going to have a jacked-up outlook and a jacked-up philosophy on what sex is, how it's supposed to operate, and how beautiful romance can be in the bonds of marriage. Okay? This was, this was, like, way back in the day, sex was so comfortable in, in culture. You know what they used to do? This, is, this will wig some of y'all out. They, they would have this big wedding feast ceremony, 
okay, way back in, in biblical days. Big wedding feast ceremony. They would last for like a week. And so they just barbecue every day. Every day. That sounds fun already, doesn't it, guys? Barbecue every day for a week leading up to the marriage ceremony. Sitting around, talking, eating good food, having fun, hanging out. And then comes the marriage day, and they do this, the marriage ceremony. And then when the marriage ceremony was done, what would happen was the bride and groom would walk together about 15 feet from where the ceremony was and go into this thing called a consummation tent with all mama, daddy, and the family and friends outside the tent. And they would walk in that tent and consummate their marriage with everybody outside. You know how soundproof a tent isn't? Can you imagine that? That's how comfortable they were with sex. So they would go in there and do their thing, and then the guy would come out about 45 seconds later, and uh, he would take, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a fun morning this day. So sex for the first time between the two of them. The guy comes out, and he pre- he's going to present the bed sheets to the father, giving proof that his daughter was a virgin and their marriage is consummated. In front of mama, daddy, the family, the friends, everybody. That's how comfortable they were with sex back in the day. We don't do that no more today, do we? Someone's like, yeah, praise God for that. It's funny, when, when Kelly and I got married, this was one of the funniest things ever because I knew about this back then. And you remember when we got married at your old church, we pulled up and... This was her old church sat here, and they kind of shared this area with another church that was down over here. And this other church had a tent set up in front of uh, the, their church for, like, some event they had going on. So we pull up, and I'm like, what in the world's going on out there in the parking lot with a tent? And her pastor said, oh, that's a consummation tent. We have it all set up for you guys. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I ain't ready for that kind of pressure. I just, I picture something completely different completely different you know so it was way different back then and it's so taboo in church today and it shouldn't be that way because it's a beautiful thing in the proper context and i say in the proper context so let's go ahead and break this down there are some parameters around this okay there's a big dividing line between when you're single and you're dating and when you're married big dividing line and it starts from right here about the neck from the neck up Everything's good. Kiss the mess out of them if you want to. Neck down usually gets you in trouble. Usually gets you in trouble. Ask no man's land. Nothing good ever comes from that at all. So, so we'll, we'll put it like this. If you want to get it on, put on a ring. Sex outside of marriage is sin. Okay? If you want to get it on, put on a ring. Make the commitment. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. Why are y'all so boring and full of rules at church? I want to have sex all I want to. Well, you can have sex all you want to, but you're going to be in danger of going to hell. And you're going to be in danger of opening yourself up to a whole lot of heartache and a whole lot of trouble that God never intended for you to go through. Okay? I want you to listen to me. Everybody, I spent a lot of time counseling youth, a lot of time in, in young adult ministry, and this was like one of the number one struggles that, that the single bracket dealt with right here is figuring out how not 
to, to have sex before marriage because it's like this big struggle that goes on because you're with this person, you love them, it's passionate, at least you think you love them, then three months they do something that drives you crazy and you break up and then you fall in love with somebody else and they're the best thing until about two months later you find somebody else until you figure out what this thing's all about and finally you start getting a little more mature in who you're picking for the person you want to date and potentially uh, marry. These people have... I've heard all kinds of all kinds of stories. <laughs> we we don't know how it happened. We we were just. I'm like, you don't know how it happened. Let me get a chart. Let me show you right here. Okay, first of all, this ha- you know it's you don't know how it happened. We were just we were we were kissing and having a romantic evening, and everything was going perfect. And we were was walking her down to to her apartment and we tripped and we fell through the door and knocked down the door and fell on the couch and all our clothes fell off while we were flying through the air. We just landed so and before I knew it we had sex. I'm pretty sure it didn't happen like that. He's responsible for your own actions. You know, I've, I've heard everything. Heard everything. Um, God designed sex to take place inside the marriage. And there's a lot of reasons why. And over the last few weeks, we've kind of touched on some of them. I want to go over some of these reasons with you before we move on in the service today because it's really important to understand this. God is not being a mean God. God is not being Mr. Boring God and telling you, no, you can't have no fun until you get married. You know, um, well, I'll get married. I'm going to have all the sex I want to. Good luck with that, bro. You're low with that. It don't work like that all the time in marriage. Um, sometimes there are things that just aren't on the menu every night. I'll just say it like that. Um, you got to learn how to, 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 to have some give and take with that. It's just crazy. It's, just, it's funny. Before people are married, you try to keep them out of the bed with each other. And then after they get married, you try to find ways to get them in the sack so they can have some fun. It's just crazy. I don't understand that. Um, there's some reasons why God put this parameter on romance and sex. And here's just a few reasons. Um, one, he wants to protect you physically. All right? STDs are not F-U-N. They're not. By the numbers right now in America, by the numbers, one out of every are you ready for this i checked this you can google it it's amazing one out of every three people is potentially carrying some kind of std all right that's crazy look crabs are good on a plate while you're eating them but you don't want to be walking around with none of that stuff on you just put it that way that's not a game i'm really i'm, I'm willing to roll the dice on to figure out how that stuff's going to end up um that, that it's a big gamble there. You open yourself up to a whole lot of potential problems physically, you know. And, I mean, think about it. Do you really want to have to explain to your future spouse why you got herpes? I mean, there's just some conversations you don't ever have to have. And that's one of the reasons why God put this parameter on it, to protect us physically. The other way is, is he put it on us to protect us emotionally. Okay, we talked about this a few weeks ago. But when you have sex... When a man and a woman have sex, something chemically happens up here in both of our brains. Our brain releases dopamine. And it releases it to connect with emotional responses so that 
we literally become addicted emotionally to the person that we are having sex with. How awesome is it that God designed that that in the, in, in the right context between a man and a wife, that he literally set it up so that when we're together romantically in that perfect way, we become addicted to our spouse in a way that we were never intended to become addicted to another person or connected emotionally to another person. That's a beautiful thing. But when you give that away to other people outside the bonds of marriage, you lose a little bit of yourself every time you're with somebody. How many people do you know that you've seen over the course of your life that had sex before marriage in relationships, dating relationships, and number one, you, you almost always regret it in the end. Uh, how many of y'all have seen people that were just men and women emotionally devastated when the relationship ended because they were connected emotionally to someone in a way that God never intended for them to be connected to a person? It will destroy you emotionally because until you have a ring on that finger, you don't have the commitment that's worthy for you to give yourself to that person. All right, they haven't earned the right. They haven't earned the right. Now, I'll say this while I'm talking. This is more ladies do this than men. Um, more ladies compromise their walk with God sexually um, for this trade-off in relationships. And, and it's crazy. I see more women justify moving in and li- living with, with a boyfriend or someone that they're dating um, and, and, and it's messed up. You're opening yourself up for a lot of trouble. Well, we, we don't have sex. We just live together. You're silly. You're silly. You're in the spider web. He's going to pounce on you sooner or later. I guarantee you. Um, well, he loves me. We already know it's God's will for us to be married. We just haven't gone through the ceremony yet, but we know we're married in the eyes of God. If you haven't been through a marriage ceremony, let me tell you something. Don't try to justify that junk. You're not married. In the eyes of God. What you're doing is, is you're sinning in the eyes of God. And that's the third thing is that it will absolutely destroy you spiritually. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, it'll mess you up. Now, I got, I got a test for you. If you're living with a guy, if you're dating a guy, and, and he's always, always all the time trying to have sex with you, and you feel like you're okay to give that to him, you want to throw a little test his way, just look at him and say, hey, you know what? We're going to try this for about six months. No sex. I'm just going to focus on my walk with God and see how long that joker sticks around. See how long that joker sticks around. You'll find out very fast whether or not he's interested in you or a part of you. Really quick. Really quick. Shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor Josh. You're already married. Yeah, I am, buddy. I am married. I'm married. It's legal. Me and my wife can have all the fun we want to. But before God, before God, I can tell you with all integrity that she and I did not have sex until we were married, not only with each other, but with anyone else. When we got married in our, in our mid and early 20s, we were both virgins when we went through that ceremony. And we were both virgins when we went into the bedroom for the first time. And I'm here to tell you, I don't regret it one bit. I don't regret it one bit. 
Because when I gave myself to my wife, I knew I was giving all of me to my wife. And when she gave herself to me, I knew that I had all of her that she was giving to me. And when you wait, when you wait to have sex for the first time in the bonds of marriage, it's beautiful. Listen, because here's the deal. You don't know what good sex is. You don't know what bad sex is. (laughs) It's just sex, baby. It's just sex. There ain't no pressure at all. It's just, hey, what's this? I don't know. Let's figure it out. Hey, what you want to do? I don't know. Let's figure Have you ever done disco ball? No, let's do disco ball. Let's see what that's all about. Hey, trapeze. All right, here's a trampoline. Let's get the rodeo. Bring in a saddle, whatever. It's all the first time. Like, we got no point of reference, nobody to compare anything to. It's just beautiful, and it's fun, and it's awesome in the bonds of marriage. All right? So, no sex before marriage. No sex before marriage. Not being mean, there's a lot of reasons for it. And if you were a loving God that didn't want to see people get jacked up physically, emotionally, or spiritually, and your heart was to see them succeed in life, wouldn't you come across that same way and say, hey, I don't want you to go through the emotional destruction or the physical risk or the spiritual damage. Let's just wait and do this in its proper context. Makes a lot of sense. But I do know this. There's a lot of us in this room that wasn't always Christians. Um, there's a lot of us in this room that's got some crazy backgrounds. All right? I'll just say this. There's a lot of us in this room that were former freaks. You're former freaks. Former crazies. Um, let's put, I, I don't want to be too crass, but we got some backgrounds in here. Listen. Listen. The same Jesus that forgives every other sin also forgive sexual sin. Okay? And a lot of times in church, when you mess up sexually, that's just like, boom, one of the ultimate trump card cardinal sins. You never recover from that in a church. I don't know how many young women I've seen make a mistake in a relationship and mess up sexually, and they get shunned and treated like a whore in a church. Or guys who mess up and do the same thing, and their reputation never recovers because they never get forgiven by the people, even if God forgives them for their sin. All right, shouldn't be that way in church. Shouldn't be that way in church. Um, there was a woman caught in adultery. Had an encounter with Jesus. These guys drug her, like, drug her out of the bedroom in the middle of the act of adultery. Like there wasn't no question about it. There wasn't a rumor. It was like, hey, I think somebody, somebody's getting freaky over it. No, they walked in, caught them in the middle of it, drug her out in the street, and they were fixing to stone her and asked Jesus what he thought about it. And Jesus said, hey, how about... Um, he who's without sin among you guys, why don't y'all go ahead and cast the first stone at her? And y'all know the story. Every one of them dropped the rocks, and they walked away. Then Jesus said something to this lady. It's amazing. He said, where are your accusers? They're not here. He said, oh, neither do I accuse you. He forgave her. And then he said, listen, go and sin no more. All right, so there's forgiveness for sexual sin. 
I don't want you to feel like if you've fallen that way that God can't restore you. And I don't feel like, I want you to feel like if you've made that mistake in relationships and you're not married, that you have something less to give to your husband because God is a God that restores. And if God can heal hearts and God can restore bodies and God can heal relationships, God can restore that part of you to give to your spouse. Amen? If you give it all to him. So there's restoration in that. But listen, Jesus also said this, stop doing it. Stop doing it, okay? Clear in Scripture, stop doing it. If you messed up, you messed up. Stop doing it, though. Hell's pretty hot. Hell's pretty hot, and it's not worth going there over a few minutes of toe-curling, seemingly kind of fun stuff. It's not worth it. Hell's too hot, and hell's forever. Amen? It's not worth it, so let's stop doing it. Um, but I will say this, because people ask me, well, if i got to wait until I get married, what advice were you, what do you got for me after I get married? Here's the deal. Once you get married, you've been saving yourself for a long time. Look, buy a Gatorade, buy a Red Bull, do some stretching, whatever you got to do, and on that marriage night, get it on and make up for lost time, baby. Make up for lost time. Whatever you make up for lost time, get it on. Because in marriage, it's a beautiful thing. Amen? With me? Y'all aren't wigging out? It's good. Some of y'all are looking at the floor pretty regularly. Man, that's a nice carpet there. I didn't realize that stain was on the floor right there. I just, amen. Yeah, oh, wow, that's a great, luckily, the carpet pattern's amazing. (laughs) Uh, When you are married, though, things change. When you're married, you are the only legitimate source of romance in your spouse's life. The only legitimate source of romance in your spouse's life. Not a magazine, not a TV show, not Dr. Phil, nobody. Not that preacher that speaks just so on TV. You are the only legitimate source of romance in your spouse's life. Now, some of y'all it's either went, yeah, or went, God, dog it. It's you. You. Nobody else is qualified. Nobody else is qualified to interact with your spouse on that level. It is not only your privilege, but it's your responsibility to blow them away in the area of romance. I take that as a personal challenge. A marriage to be two people, almost in a competition to find ways to express their love to one another. The only legitimate source of romance in your spouse's life. Now, for some people, that kind of puts a little bit of pressure on you because you're not wired to be romantic. Like, some guys, like, you're like, I don't know how to write poetry. I tried writing poetry, and, and here's all I came up with. Roses are red, violets are blue. The sunrise is pretty, and so are you. And that's, that's it. That's all, look, that's all you got. Start there and work it. Work it and go. I, I realize that it doesn't come natural to, to some people. But I will tell you this. There are different methods and different tools and different things we can do to communicate our love to the person that we're married to. And I'm not going to stand up here and try to pretend to be like the love guru and give you all the five things that will make all the difference in your life. I'm not going to do all that. That's between you and her. 
That's between you and him. You know what tickles your spouse's fancy, and we'll just let you figure out how all the combinations and locks work with that. But what I will give you is this. Um, Going back to the Bible, God gave us some very specific things that we can do in our roles as husbands and wives to open up the door for a level of romance in our marriage that very few people tap into. Okay? And it's found in Ephesians 5. It's found in Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body for which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to the Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. And to present to her or to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. When we operate in our role, when we operate in our role in a marriage, we become attractive to our spouse and it opens up the door to their heart. God designed men and God designed women in a certain way. God created sex and God created us. Amen? Men respond to certain things. Women respond to certain things. Different, th- different ways. Um, they did a survey, and they talked to a bunch of husbands. They talked to a bunch of wives. And they asked them, hey, um, what, is it, what is it that your wife or your husband can do for you that just makes them incredibly attractive to you as a person? And for the women, they all said, more or less, that when he serves me and sacrifices for me, it's one of the most attractive things he could ever do for me. Um, A lot of them said, hey, when he serves by doing housework, cleaning the house, it's like the most attractive thing ever when he serves me that way. Guys, did you know that you're probably one clean house away from the night of your life? <laughs> Just tell you, file that away. Clean house, crazy night. You could be, because that's, that's what most women respond to. When they talked to the husbands, this is what they said. They said, when, when my wife shows me honor and respect, it does something to me on the inside that makes her attractive to me in a way nobody else is attractive. Servanthood, submission, sacrifice, honor, and submission. These are the roles that God gave us in Ephesians 5 and how we're supposed to interact to one another. That's just proven with a survey. When we treat them that way, guys, if we come in and we look at our wives and we say, listen, Man, this will blow her away. I love you. And to my death, I will serve you. I will honor you. I will sacrifice and do whatever is necessary to serve all of your needs, to make you happy, and to make you feel like the woman you should. To my death, 
You won't have to ask me twice. You won't have to nag, nag me. You won't have to beg me. To my death, I will make my mission in life to lift you up on a pedestal and serve you for the rest of my life. Son, that does something right here. It unlocks a part of a woman's heart because you're stepping into that biblical role as a husband that you should be. Same thing with a woman when she looks at her husband and says, listen, I love you. I love you. I will serve you. I will honor you. And I will respect you. We're in this thing together and I've got your back. I will never leave your side. We'll take on the world together, baby. Whatever. I'm with you for the rest of my life. You and me. I got your back. That does something to a man on the inside. Because there's good-looking women, and then there's beautiful and attractive women. Because a woman could be gorgeous physically and unattractive to a man because she's disgusting in how she approaches him. When you approach a man and give honor and respect out of a, out of a motive to serve because you're stepping into the biblical role, and you've got a husband and a wife that are serving one another biblically that way, and, and their whole approach is just to, to make the other person happy. In mutual submission. Doing just like we talked about a few weeks ago. One in their relationship with God. So they can come together as one in marriage. Giving love and trust. Mutual respect. And coming in and and deciding not to fight in their marriage. But to fight for their marriage. And stepping into that role and giving up their rights. And that selfish little hill that we so, so many times we want to try to die on. Because we want things our way and we're demanding that that person come over to our side and see things our way. When if we would step into our biblical role and just say, you know what, it's not about me, it's about you. And the other person says, it's not about me, it's about you. I'm telling you, you unlock a level of romance in your marriage that just can't exist anywhere else. And God gives us the tools to be able to do it in Ephesians 5. So the hows and the what's and all that, that's, that's, that's up for you guys to figure out. Every marriage is different. Every wife is different. Every husband is different. I get that. But principles are solid. So when we operate in our roles, we become absolutely attractive to our spouse, and it opens up the doors to their hearts. Now, there's a couple of different things that we can do, though, practically, that will help us in the area of romance in our marriages. And we're going we're gonna to dive into some of that because sometimes it's awkward, depending on your past and your history and what you're used to and what you're comfortable with. Um, this can be one of, those, one, of those, one of those issues that become a problem in marriage. Amen? It can be. Um, I, I don't know how many married couples I've counseled over the years where this is the big deal, but it always comes back to Ephesians 5 every time. If we fix Ephesians 5, then the bedroom eventually fixes itself. Um, but there's a lot of practical stuff. Listen, Paul, when he was writing, he said, listen, wives, it's not good for you to deny your husband that marital duty. And he also said, husband, hey, it's not good for you to deny your wife. Most guys don't have a problem with that. Um, I get that. Uh, but that's also not supposed to be a bargaining tool either, ladies, to get things done. And it's definitely not a punishment to just drive the point home to the guy. Manipulation and leverage over something like this, listen, it never ends up good. And you'll send your husband to a place you never want him going to. Amen? You don't want to play with that. There's a couple of things we can do, though, to help out 
um, this process in a marriage. And I want to give you two things. One's going to be communication, and the other one's going to be servanthood. We're going to talk about communication first. Okay? Communication is huge. You got to talk about sex in the marriage. You got to talk about it. And most guys don't have a problem with this. A lot of ladies sometimes do have a, a, a little bit of hesitancy, especially early on, talking about this to their, to their husband. Um, because if you're a lady, especially if you grew up in the church, you were always taught that sex is dirty, sex is nasty, sex is bad, save it for your husband. Just like that. Um, but you've got to talk to your spouse. They need to know. What you like, what you don't like, what you're comfortable with, what you're not comfortable with, what does it for you, what doesn't do it for you. All right, baby, I appreciate that, but all those pickup lines you're throwing at me just ain't working. If I have to hear, am I wearing space underwear because my butt's out of this world one more time, I'm just going to slap you. It doesn't do it for me. You got you to let, let them know. You got to let them know. You got to communicate that kind of stuff and let them know what's working for you and what's not. Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on how your Bible has it listed, is a beautiful book to go to. Yeah, we're going to read that this morning a little bit. Um, Have y'all ever read through that? I love it. First of all, I love this book because it's in the Bible. This book is in the Bible, and it is incredibly graphic in some parts. Um, We're going to be tasteful about reading through this, and we're going to skip some parts that we probably could have not skipped. Uh, But we're going to have some fun with this, and I want to show you how communication works in a marriage in the right context, and it can be a beautiful thing. Um, Song of Songs, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We'll start at 2. This is the woman, oddly enough, The conversation about sex in this book, the woman kicks it off. The woman has no problem at all talking about sex at all. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Ow! For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. See, she starts off by letting him know that I like it when you smell good. Gentlemen, I'll just say this. Um, some, some of us could increase dramatically uh, the frequency of our lovemaking if we would just employ a simple shower. <laughs> Makes a big, big difference. You can always tell right about the time that uh, a guy, when he's growing up, suddenly discovers girls because he starts taking showers on his own without prompting, like, boom. Tommy's taking showers, girls, every time. Every time. Guys, figure this out. So she likes it when he smells good. But then he also says, your name is like perfume poured out. So she says, I like it when you smell good, but I like it when your name smells good too. In other words, I love that your name is attractive, that it has honor, that it means something. Women are attracted to a man who has honor about him. And she says, no wonder the young women love you. And she gets a little crazy here. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Ladies, if you use that line on your husband, it will blow his mind. King, take me to your chambers. That'd be awesome. She just tells him straight up, I'm in the mood. Let's get it on, baby. Come on. That's what she's telling him right off the get-go. Take me to your chambers. Let's do this thing. Let's do it. I can't be that aggressive with my husband. That's, that's a little too dirty. Look, your husband wants you to be a little dirty. I just tell you, probably your husband's okay with you being just a little dirty and a little aggressive. Let him know when you're in the mood. I don't know if I can do that. This would be your husband's dream come true. 
I promise you. He's sitting there watching football. Honey, I'm in the mood. He'll drop that remote. Just, all right, let's go. No problem at all in the middle of a movie. Honey, I'm in the mood. What movie? Ain't no problem at all. Your husband will run over small children if you tell him you're in the mood. He will drop it all and come running. Just let, I'm telling you right now, this stuff will work. It will work. So she says straight out the bat, baby, I want you. Let's get it on. Look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, um, the lady's still talking. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apple. Apparently they get a little freaky and bring some fruit into the bedroom. <clears throat> That's what it looks like. Um, <laughs> refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. Look at verse 6. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. She's telling her husband, I love it when you hold me. I love it when you hold me. She's letting him know what she likes. I promise you, ladies, if you let your husband know what you like, every time in that notebook, she likes this. It's going to become his playbook. Every time there's a game, he's going to go straight to that playbook. And he's going to pull out the top plays to get the touchdown. All right? Every time. You give him the place for the playbook, he will go there every time to make sure. All right, number one, got that. Two, okay, here we go. Three, she likes to be held. Off the list, baby. One, 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 two, 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 three. It doesn't matter. You give it to him, he's going to stick to it. Um, look at this progression. Chapter 2, verse 16. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. That means exactly what you think it means. Um, well... <laughs> well, we, we won't go far into that. But she's letting him know, look, I know that you are mine and I am yours. There is a confidence that a woman walks in when she knows that her man is her man. Nobody else's. You are mine. There's a confidence that comes over a woman. When a guy knows that that woman is committed to me and nobody else in a way that's communicated strongly like this, it, it kicks up the level of romance. I'm talking to the 10th degree. When you know that their heart beats for you and it's communicated that way, he's mine, I'm his. Baby, let's, let's go see what those lilies are like. That's, that's, that's how it goes for them. Um, chapter 4 is another one. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my... Okay, that's a little weird. That's a little weird. That's, I don't know if this was written in Arkansas or, or, or what the deal was. No, no for real. I, I knew I'd have to address this, though, when it was written like this. But this is, back in the culture, this was a, a term of affection. And it was culturally acceptable for you to call your wife a sister like that don't make sense to me either doesn't make sense to me either there's a lot of stuff that happened back then that doesn't make sense to me either so we're just going to put that in a file uh my sister my bride i I guarantee you guys if you look at your wife and say my sister my bride it's not going to work it's not going to work she's going to go this ain't joe dirt it doesn't work that way she's just not going to go all right um you have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace, this is him communicating back to her, you are beautiful. I'm completely committed to you. How delightful is your love. There's that sister bride thing. We're going to skip that. That's a little weird. Um, how much more pleasing is your love than wine? 
and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. He's just telling her, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. You're committed to me. I'm committed to you. You are the most beautiful thing I have ever seen in my life. Um, where are we at? Verse, chapter 4. Let's go to chapter 6. 60 queens there may be, and 80 concubines and virgins beyond number, but my dove, my perfect one, is unique. He is letting her know, not only are you the only one for me, there is absolutely no one else on this earth like you. You're the only one. You're the only one. That's how I see you. That's how I see you. Guys, when your wife knows she is the only one and you see her unique that way, man, you only have eyes for her and she's your standard for what beauty is. When she gets that in her heart, it opens up a level of romance in her that can't be opened up any other way because this is how God intended it. When you operate in your role from Ephesians 5 and you speak life over your woman that way and you wash her with the water from the word and you just speak encouragement over her and build her up and speak that over her, man, it does something amazing to that woman. It will literally change her stature and her demeanor. Because listen, she knows when you sneak a peek at somebody in the mall. She knows when you're out at the restaurant and little miss walks by wearing that thing that fits just right. And you, like some guys aren't even kind of cool about it. They're just like, she sees, she knows, and you're communicating something to her. Now look, I get it, guys. Look. Women are beautiful, and God created us a certain way, and we're going to notice when there's a beautiful woman, okay? There's a difference between saying, hey, that's a pretty woman, and going, that's a pretty woman. There's a little bit of a difference, a lot of a difference, a lot of difference between the two. Um, This will help you out. I had a buddy who, he, he joked about this. He said, this is, this is what we should do. Um, anytime you see a woman that's attractive, but she's not your wife, just yell, you're not my wife! <laughs> That'll fix it. Every time. Temptation's gone. I guarantee you there is zero chance of you having sex with another woman if you do that. You're not my wife! In public, done. Not an issue anymore. Wouldn't it be hilarious if we go to the mall, like after service today, and you're just walking out of Buckle, and you're like, yeah, and then off in the distance you hear, you're not my wife. <laughs> It'd be awesome. Uh, she wants to know that she's the only one, and she pays attention. If you communicate to that, that to her, it'll make all the difference in the world. Chapter uh, 7. Chapter 7 in Song of Songs. This one gets a little spicy. He's looking at his, at his wife, and for all we know, all she has on is sandals at this moment. So it's becoming a good night. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. That's, that's going to be a great one to use on your wife later, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. And I want to stop right here for a second. <laughs> because, I don't know, I, if, if I'm a woman, and 
this, this could be a little confusing to me. I get that. Why in the world would he compare a woman's breasts to furry little woodland creatures? <laughs> I mean, why, would, why in the world would he do this here? Well, think about this. Have you ever seen a furry little woodland creature? When you see one, what do you want to do? You want to touch them, hold them, and pet them, right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That's what the guy's saying right here. He's communicating to his wife. This is what he's doing. Y'all freaking out, but this is right here in Scripture. This is what the guy's saying, and I'll prove it to you here in a minute. Did I just lose everybody? I just lost everybody. Let the men say amen. That's what I'm talking about. Y'all don't know nothing about furry little woodland creatures. Women don't get that. Every man in this room understands that block of Scripture. Every man in this room is probably going to go read that block of Scripture tonight. I guarantee you. Um, then he goes, on, he goes on and he says, Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bathrobin. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking down toward Damascus. <laughs> Apparently this lady's got a long neck and a big nose. A long neck and a big nose is all I can figure out. Um, but he's communicating to her that he loves it. I love long necks and big noses, girl. I love them. I love them. You know, they did a survey, and, and about 99% of the women that they talked to in this survey said that there was something about their physical appearance that they did not like. And most women had multiple things about themselves that they didn't like. Um, guys are real different in this area than girls. Like a guy, a guy could be 75 pounds overweight, standing in a mirror in his whitey tidies and look at himself and go, yeah, baby, still got it. You know, we're cool with that. We're cool with that. We see things completely different. I still got it, girl. A woman could be a supermodel, supermodel, and look at herself and hate her appearance. Completely different. And this guy is speaking to her, hey, I love you just like you are. You are my standard of beauty. And he's saying, I love long necks and big noses. I, that's my thing. I love that. But, and, and, but he's building her up, though, in his communication to her. And he's letting her know, you are absolutely my standard of beauty. Your head crowns you like the Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. He gets a little crazy here. I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. (laughs) That might be a fun game for husbands and wives to play tonight. (laughs) Everybody go home and play palm tree. It's in the Bible. We're going to play palm tree. The guys are writing that down right now. Palm tree. It's going to happen. <laughs> play palm tree. It's a good thing. And he just lets her know straight up. Here we go. I'm going to communicate it. Get ready. See, furry little fawns, furry little woolly creatures. They, they, they make sense now. He's going to climb the tree and, yep, there you go. Uh, he's communicating that stuff to her. Communication. In marriage, it can be absolutely hilarious, especially if you talk like that. Baby, how about that palm tree thing? (laughs) Might have to brush that up a little bit, but she'll respond if you communicate. Your man will respond if you communicate. But you've got to be able to speak. It's more than just, hey, let's have sex. It's a lifestyle of honoring 
and communicating love and respect to the person that you're married to so that when those moments do come, they're so much better than they ever would have been. They ever would have been. It's, it's more than meeting a physical need. It's a consummation of a beautiful love and relationship that God says is a beautiful thing in his presence. And until you experience it on that level and work it the way that it's supposed to be worked, I'm telling you, man, you just have not had that level of intimacy. You, I'm just telling you, you just don't know how good it can be till it's clicking like it's supposed to click biblically. When you're speaking that over your spouse and communicating them, to them everything that they need to know, speaking life over them, and it just opens up. It opens up a whole new arena. Um, second thing is servanthood. Servanthood. Servanthood is huge because one of the main reasons that couples are frustrated romantically is that they aren't willing to work to serve their spouses. They aren't willing to work to serve their spouse. You ever heard that, um, that saying that for women, sex begins in the kitchen? Most guys think, hey, that's kind of that's uh, kinky there. I like that. That's, that's not what the, that statement means. It means that they respond well to you serving them. Servanthood. Servanthood. It takes work to serve your spouse, whether you're a man or a woman. It takes work to put in time to serve them. But that's what we respond to. That's what opens up the doors romantically. So here's a question to ask yourself. And here's a question, not, not so much to ask yourself, but here's a question that you can ask your spouse that might blow your mind with how they respond to you. Ask them this question. Ask them, what can I do for you to make you feel special and put you in the mood for romance? And ask for an honest answer. You might be completely surprised by the answers that you get. At uh, <clears throat> one guy asked his wife this question, and her response was, was way different than he expected. She said, you know what? When you cut the grass, it just does something for me. That dude cuts his grass ten times a week. <laughs> now, yeah, it's different for men than it is for women. Another guy asked his wife, what, what, what is it that, that I can do? What is it that happens that, that really puts you in that mood for romance sometimes? And, and she says, you know what? When you spend time with the kids and I see you playing with them, it just does something to me. And I see you in a whole new light. That guy plays with his kids every day now. Every day. Different things for different people. <clears throat> Ladies, I heard a story one time. This guy was at work, and he got a phone call from his wife. He says, hey, what's going on? She goes, oh, nothing. I'm just sitting in a chair at home, naked, thinking about you. He went home. He went home. Your husbands would run red lights if you gave him a call like that. It's amazing. Now, Women don't get that. Guys do. For women, it doesn't make sense because if your husband called you and he's like, hey, baby, what's going on? You're like, nothing. What are you doing? Oh, nothing. I'm just sitting here in a chair naked thinking about you. Every woman in this place just went, ew, gross. That's disgusting. I'm going to have to clean that chair now. I'm going to have to clean it. It's completely different. Completely different. Um, 
<clears throat> there's so many different things we can do to serve our spouse once we figure out what they respond to because we communicated and they've communicated to us. Um, guys, if you get home early from work one day, your wife's not home yet, close to the weekend or whenever, get a babysitter, surprise her, surprise her. Let her walk in that door and say, hey, sweetheart, welcome home. I just want to let you know that I love you. I got a babysitter. The kids are gone. The kids are gone. I've got a bath started upstairs. We got the bubbles, everything. It's just waiting on you. I've got the candles lit. I've got some soft music playing. Why don't you go up there and why don't you just relax? And you take as much time as you want to. You just relax and sit in that tub and listen to that music. And when you're ready, once you get out, get dressed, I'm going to take you to dinner tonight. It's going to be you and me, nobody else. No phones, no distractions. We're just going to talk. We're going to have fun, just you and me. And we're going to come home. I'm going to break out the lotion. I want you to sit down, and I'm just going to rub your feet for 30 minutes or an hour. And I just want us to talk while I'm rubbing your feet. I want us to talk about life. I want us to talk about whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind. Talk about each other. Talk about our feelings, whatever. We're just going to talk while I rub your feet. And then when we're done, we're just going to go on, head to bed, and we're just going to see what happens. Oh, snap. Man, if you would work to serve your wife. Speak that language. That's a lot of work. I hate rubbing feet. Rub those feet, buddy. Whew, whatever. Whatever whatever the thing is for her. Find out what the thing is for her and serve her. You will unlock a level of crazy passion that might scare you a little bit in the bedroom if you will honor her and treat her with respect and serve her serve her this whole thing about romance is serving one another out of that biblical role that we see in ephesians 5 because you are the only source you are the only legitimate source of romance in your spouse's life listen you can have a beautiful romantic marriage that'll blow your mind make everybody else jealous and they'll say how in the world are you guys so in love and you know what you can do not my five secrets on how to have a crazy sex life it's going to be the bible we just operate biblically the way we're supposed to and it unlocks a part of our hearts for one another that wouldn't be that way any other way because it only responds to a man or a woman operating in that biblical role point them back to the gospel our marriages should drive people to Jesus. Amen? And you can have a level of romance that'll blow your mind, make some other people jealous. But how about this? Wouldn't it be crazy if your romance and your sex life pointed people to Jesus? That's the way he designed it. Our marriages are supposed to reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. Mutual submission in close intimacy, serving one another out of love. Amen? Bow your heads and close your eyes.